0: Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Q's and Q's and Q's and Q's and Q's Listeners, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to have you here. I spent way too long working on that, and it, it, I thought it turned out pretty good. My As always, my name is Josh, and with me is my little co-host.
1: Yeah, I'm loyal, but a little exhausted by that. I, I'm Andrew. Welcome to the show. <laughs> we have a phenomenal guest this week. You've heard me talk on the show a couple times about one of my favorite games of last year, and that is Boop. And the designer of that game is Scott Brady. He's here. He also designed Hughes & Clues. Welcome to the show, Scott Brady. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah,
0: hence the introduction, the boop, 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 and the Hughes & Clues. I, I, it, it was punny to me, so that's why I went with it. And I was recently listening to the 2001 Space Odyssey soundtrack, just because I like listening to soundtracks when I do my computer stuff. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this because I want to. But, Scott, it is so good to have you on the show. Like... Andrew said one of our favorite games from last year was Boop. We've been talking about it. Me and Andrew have recently played it together. It's been so good, so it's really good to have you here.
2: I appreciate it. And you guys were two of the lucky people to have gotten the opportunity to play Boop last year. Because as you probably know, it, it came out in late November and actually sold out mm-hmm. in late November. So we've oh, been yeah. having a hard time getting it to the table with new players.
0: I mean, it, it's... It's not surprising. I mean, it's a game about cats jumping on a bed, but it has enough strategy and depth to really carry what you're, it really carries the game. and makes you want to keep coming back for more and more. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who maybe haven't played Boop Scott, how, how would you describe Boop to something? So
2: I, I typically describe Boop as a, as a, a traditional abstract with a theme that is married to the mechanics. So underneath the game, the cute facade um, is a deep strategic uh, abstract game somewhere between the difficulty of checkers and chess um, mm-hmm. and it is some the reason we designed it the way it was is to hopefully not be as intimidating to new players who might look at a chessboard or something like that and not like the looks of it not want to play because they think it's too strategic and this is our way of tricking people to, hey, give abstracts a try. I think you'll like what you find.
1: I think you accomplished that, (laughs) and I think putting the the cutest possible front on it really makes a big difference. I know that's artwork by Kurt Covert and whatever not, but at the same time, I think it's perfect that you marriage cats jumping on a bed and then the just physical effect of bouncing them away from the piece you place... Which causes this weird physical chain reaction on the board, which is an interesting play. I've never seen that mechanism in any way, shape, or form in any kind of game. Where did that come from for you? So,
2: I actually designed the game mechanism first, and I hadn't—I don't recall exactly where the idea for it came but it was closely associated with thinking of like uh, a meteor hitting the ground or some kind of explosion or something like that. And so I started with that idea. Sometimes it pushed one, sometimes it pushed two. I was trying to find something that worked, but I wanted a mechanic that um, I didn't believe had been done before. And um, when when I finally nailed down the idea of it just pushing away, and that was the one that worked best, I tried pushing, mm-hmm. pulling, only pushing the opponents, all these different variations over the course of almost a year. And um, when the final design was made as an abstract game under a different name, um, that's what, I, what it was nailed down to. And then the, uh, the funny story is, you mentioned Kurt doing the artwork it's uh he actually rejected the game the first time
1: and i heard that
2: so i had because i've known kurt for a long time at smirk and dagger um i blindly mailed him a copy of my game without his permission and um just kind of you know butted my way in and said hey take a look at this and he tried it and he liked it but he wasn't sure that he wanted another abstract game and in his line. And um, th- this was also about the time that uh, Jagamak was seriously looking at it for their line as well. Mm-hmm. Jagamak Jig- ended up passing on it because of some changes that were happening in their company and Kurt, of course, rejected it and sent it back to me said, Oh, yeah, it's neat. It's a lot of fun. We have fun playing as a family. He didn't think it was marketable. And so after that is when I started looking for a theme and we tried differently, and I didn't want just a theme slapped on. I wanted something that made sense. And I came up with the idea, after a few months of trying different things, of cats jumping on a bed. And that came from another game I have designed in prototype form. It's also animals on a bed. So I kind of stole that theme from one game to the other. I renamed the game. At that time, it was called Pounce House. Okay. And showed it again to Kurt he actually asked what I was doing with it at Geekway to the west and I showed it what I had turned it into and his eyes lit up and I reminded him that he had already rejected the game one but um, <laughs> he wanted I had also made it a little bit more difficult we had now the kittens upgrading into cats um, which mm-hmm. the original game didn't have and then shortly thereafter, Huge. Within a week, he was ready to sign it, so I didn't even have to show it to anyone
1: else at that point. Well, he was a smart man because obviously, <laughs> when you sell out the first printing in a month, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So good on good on both of you, Thanks. and uh, just interesting origin story. It's very cool.
0: Well, not only Boop, but before that, you actually designed a very successful party game with the Op called Using Cues as well. And that is where I heard your name from before Boop came out. I was like, "Oh, this is the guy who did no Hughes and Cues," and that's also a very, very good party game. So, what what for people don't know, Hughes and Cues is can you like maybe a small brief special? Oh, sure, sure. So Hughes and Cues that
2: was the first game I I designed and really pushed to get published. It was it's a color perception matching game, and it comes from my experience in a prior career in the printing industry and you know where we're talking to a customer and we're trying to agree on what color to print their product and most most people not in the printing industry don't understand what color matching systems are like Pantone or some of the others mm-hmm. and so we tend to talk in abstracts they'll say they'll call up and say I want my card in you know blue jean blue or fire engine red or something like that which is of course very abstract and so color matching systems were invented to uh to prevent that much like the swatches you see in home depot if you see a color that says reindeer fur on the swatch which is a light brown then Someone else yes. can go in and find that exact same color and know what you're talking about. So Hughes & Hughes came from the idea of what happened before there were color matching systems. This is how we right. talk about color in abstracts. And it simply is one player is trying to describe a color using one and two word clues, and uh, the other players are trying to guess what color they're, going, they're trying to describe. But what makes it interesting is, is if you say the word banana as an example, um, it doesn't really matter what color a banana really is. Even there are different varieties and different degrees of ripeness. It's what the clue giver thinks when they think of a banana compared to what you think when you think of a banana. So either people with even people with color deficiencies can play because um, it's how they perceive a banana compared to how you perceive a banana, and it should look in the same on the board. So it's a, a simple simple concept party game that really fosters a lot of great discussion about about color, how you remember things, and yep. of course, it's all dependent upon our own life experiences, where we grew up, where we bought our bananas from, or uh, what color Kermit was on the you know which brand of television, whether it was high def or standard def or something like that. So it's um
1: it's been super successful. That's very cool. Yeah. So you say reindeer fur, I say Josh's beard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Figure it
0: out <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, how does it feel to have two mega hits for your first two series?
1: <laughs>
2: well, I would, I would definitely <laughs> classify Hughes and Q's as a mega hit. I, it has performed beyond our expectations. Oh, no. We're creeping up on half a won. million copies sold. Um, it's, it's outperformed anything that I imagine could be done. Um, Boop is different for me because I personally love abstract games. Um, I went with a smaller publisher on purpose because I knew Smirk and Dagger would give personal attention to it. Um, I Mm -hmm. think it's got the buzz. Now the problem is, is keeping up with demand at this point, but, um, it's it's fantastic to swing two for two at this point.
1: I want to know what the secret sauce is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, geez, your brain, your brain is
0: the secret no, sauce. But still, it's, where, where are you? Where are you? Located? I'm in Iowa. What's what's in the water? Uh, uh, for yeah, lots of we're <laughs> in
2: the Mississippi, so it's a lot of
0: mud. <laughs> oh, there you go, folks. The secret a secret to of, good to game design is drinking yeah. mud. A lot
1: of downstream from Minneapolis, Perspil, is what that yeah, is. Yeah,
0: there you go. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we get the run, the bathroom runoff.
0: I <laughs> Ah, love it. No, and I I, 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 I now I need to know what to get so I actually get a game yeah. design. <laughs> well. My instruments are getting ready to turn on, so how about we go ahead and head to the pre-launch and talk about what games we've been playing recently.
2: The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest.
0: In the pre-launch, we talk about games we've been playing recently and what we think about them. So, I'm going to kick it off with Andrew because he's been playing the game that has been dominating everything and all things since two years ago. Andrew, take it away. Yeah,
1: it intimidated me for a long time, so it sat in shrink wrap on the shelf for quite a while. But I finally broke it out about two weeks ago with my wife. We played a two-player version, we played another two-player version, then we let it sit overnight, and the next day we brought it out again. So I've played it ten times in the last week and a half, and it's Arc Nova. Uh, it is number four on the board game Hotness right now and has been for a while. And it is seriously terraforming zoo. That's, that's what it is. Um, I can't say that I like it better because as of right now with all these plays, I feel like it funnels players in a specific direction. So I need to play it more to make sure there are not more viable other ways to play. But it seems like if you don't do a specific set of things, you will fall behind. Now it can be made up over time, but that initial push really creates an interesting synergy. But I will say this, that deck is huge and it's ripe for expansions because mostly it's only a couple sets of animals and obviously the animal kingdom is wide and crazy. So uh, I highly recommend it for for first-time triers. I'm wondering how it plays with three and four, but for right now with a two-player, I can definitely recommend it. Scott, what have you been playing? So I had... uh... Uh, opportunity
2: to try out a a game that's coming to kickstarter and this is completely unsponsored and (laughs) unasked for but i was able to play a prototype of a game called forges of ravenshire and it is the second game from a small publisher called ba games based in lincoln nebraska and their first was a social deduction game called uh cult of the deep i believe was the name of it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
2: and um so this game fortune raising Shire, is a a typical i won't say euro but i mean it's euro inspired it's more like the you know the ameritrash version as they call it of a a Euro. (laughs) um and it's designed to be it's it's light; it's a light to medium game but it's designed to be uh he described it as kind of a friendly place. So there's not a lot of take that. There's not a lot of getting in each other's way. It's not a solitaire game with multiple players, but it is just enough um, getting in each other's way. But it's not that difficult to complete um, what you're trying to do. And I would put it on the lightness of you know it's very similar to Ark Nova in its in its complexity. It uses dice in a in a unique way to okay. Uh, to gather uh the goods that you need and the theme is is you're a it's um a bunch of each person is a um, uh, an animal that is competing in ravenshire to become the best blacksmith and so you each run your own blacksmith and you're making weapons armor and uh, uh shields And so there's cards to collect. There's some recipe fulfillment. You're collecting goods to make these recipes, which give um, bonuses or uh, kind of a little bit of engine building, but not much. Um, So very light, um, very approachable for someone new to the hobby who wants to play that kind of game. Uh, The artwork that I saw, for uh, the box wasn't final, I don't think. But the artwork on the cards and the board and everything was fantastic and really, really Mm -hmm. well done, as as good as anything you'd see out there right now. And I know they're planning, I think he said like a May Kickstarter launch. They were tightening up a few things um, and just uh, playing with the iconography to make things clearer, you know, when you're playing the game. But I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to that, and that's not normally the type of game that I play. But because it had this neat little mechanic of using dice, um, that was it really intrigued us and kept us engaged because there was that little bit of randomness in there that might affect you. So that's what I've been playing lately.
1: Awesome! I'm, I'm actually looking awesome. forward to that as well. Um, I've only seen the artwork, but the artwork is enough to intrigue me, and I and from your description, I'm kind of all in.
0: On the board game geek page there is a picture of the happiest little weasel i've ever seen in my life i thought
2: it was a ferret at first but i was corrected on that (laughs) (laughs) don't you dare call him a
0: ferret he's a weasel a proud weasel well friends i have just finished a campaign of mask a new generation which is an rpg that i thoroughly enjoy and i have to say i believe it went thoroughly well so for those who don't know masks a new generation is an rpg that is powered by the apocalypse a 2d6 role-playing system that is designed by brendan conway it is about young teenage superheroes so think of young justice teen titans things like that you know the young kind of angsty you know teenage years of superheroes coming into themselves and it is outstanding it the power by the apocalypse is the best system in my opinion for rpgs i don't know if you've played too many rpgs scott no i don't yeah that's okay <laughs> that's okay well most people are familiar with dungeons and dragons the whole bunch of dice, right. selling math you're doing whereas any game that is powered by the apocalypse like the new avatar the last airbender rpg that was huge it's just 2d6 you roll it if you get above a seven You do the thing you get to do. You basically accomplish what you try to accomplish. A 7 through 9 is like a soft success, so there might be some consequences. A 10 plus is going to be a huge success, and you get to do what you want to do. So really easy on the GM, which is what I always am. And what made this so fun is that there is a wonderful little system where, as young teenagers, you're trying to come into yourselves and develop the sense of self, who you are. Mm -hmm. And so your stats actually change depending on who you're talking to. And if that person has influence over you, they can actually try to shift your labels. And depending on if you accept or reject it, you can change how you view yourself, which affects your moves and how many bonuses you get when you're trying to accomplish something certain. And this is such a great implementation of superheroes because lots of times you get, uh, I don't want to bash on there's an RPG called mutants and mastermind, which is just like a fifth edition, uh, role-playing system and it is just a it's like a slog to get through and just character mm-hmm. creation well this is like grab a playbook of you know hey here's the like the robin type playbook for batman throw it down fill out a few questions about your backstory and who you are to your team and let's go and it really is it's just so well done how it really sets up a personalized story for these characters for your players mm-hmm. and it gives the gm so many tools to just start a campaign with no modules it is Easily with my top three RPGs out of the fifteen or twenty that I played myself. It is extremely, extremely well done. I'm glad I had a campaign of it. For those of you who are wanting to get into a good system, like you see the Avatar playbook, maybe you want to start with something smaller, or just interested in doing a superhero RPG, you couldn't ask for anything better than mask. So that is a mask, a new generation by Magpie Games.
1: Yeah, that, that quick start and being able to jump right in is really kind of key and especially in that genre. I think that's a great thing to you. Speaking of which, I think the instruments have warmed up enough. Let's get started.
0: Scott, Mr. Brady, please (laughs) regale us with your tales of yore as we dive deeper and deeper into this tabletop ocean.
2: Regale us how? Tell us the story. Uh, Oh, the story. Just tell us the story. The story. story. All right. The story. Your story. Your memorable story. My memorable story. So I mean, it's. I think we all have a lot of really memorable things that happen to us as out as part of playing board games or RPGs. Mm -hmm. But I think most of them are are kind of, you know. Things that happen on the side, not necessarily in the game. I didn't make this great combo move that made me win the game. That kind of thing. To me, the right. greatest stories come from you know something that happens socially, good or bad, mm-hmm. as a result of of playing with your friends. So the the one that always sticks out that I always tell and and I'm still reminded of it by friends is we were at a local <laughs> games store pre-COVID um, playing um, Thunder Alley which is, I think supports like up to eight people or something, but we had a large table of people. And for those that don't know, it's a a NASCAR simulation um, Mm -hmm. where it employs mechanics such as uh, drafting, which allows you to push or pull people along with you, along with a number of other things. And you control a team of cars. And so you get points for what place you cross the finish line in and then you're trying to get your entire team across. And um, this one particular game and we were, it was all, we were all friends at the table at that point (laughs) (laughs) and um, just kind of bantering back and forth. And, And because it has a drafting mechanism, there is a little bit of take that in the game, you know, you can choose to help someone, you can choose to block them or whatever. And it was, right towards the end of the game and uh, turn order is particularly important in this game and the first cards are approaching the finish line and I think I was in third and the and the person to my right um, she was in fourth she was right behind me and then we had a couple of people ahead and my best friend Doug he's sitting across the table and we kind of both when we play kind of sit back and kind of just look at the experience everyone is having and, and kind of enjoying the whole atmosphere. And so yeah. I convinced um I'll say Lisa, that's not her name, <laughs> on my right. I said, you know, if you help me, if you push me along to get ahead of these others, you know, because their other cars were in such a powerful position, we need to get past them and cross the line before them. And I showed her my card and I said, Look, and then my turn's next, when I do, I'll play this, and I will pull you across the finish line with me. And she, and actually, keep in mind, this is the first time either of us had played the game, so we were just kind of winging it. And uh, she agreed, and she pushed my car along with hers, and got within a couple spaces of the finish line, and then I played my card. Now, the card I showed her was a three, and I played a two. And what that ended up doing was uh, pushing my car over the finish line, but leaving her in the space right before the finish line. And because everyone else, (laughs) because she had just taken her turn and everyone else got to go, you can imagine a NASCAR scene where you have a car stalled at the finish line and everyone else is just blowing by her as she goes. (laughs) And I I kind of looked across the table at my friend Doug and, and kind of laughed. And then I took out of my hand, I showed him the three across the table. So he knew what I had just done. And of course, everyone was roaring with laughter. And of course, poor Lisa wasn't too happy with me. And then her boyfriend, who was at the <laughs> table too, he was laughing hard until he realized how bad she took it. And then it, he started going after my other cars. But that was just such a memorable experience just to, to sneakily trick someone um maybe it shows the competitiveness that lies deep with inside i don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know if it's the competitive so much as the creating a moment right? right like a little swaparoo there a little take that it's actually not that nasty it's more a matter of tactically interesting and yeah. then Now, because you did that, it created a moment that you now remember how many years? Ten years later? I mean, that's pretty awesome. And I
2: don't know if that's how that game was meant to be played. And I usually don't enjoy games that have, you know, where you have to lie that you're the spy or not, that kind of thing. I normally don't enjoy stuff like that. But this particular case, it was just funny as heck. That's
0: awesome. I really think that games that can... Do that though, like give that the players an ability to like drag them along the last instant, betray them, have a lot of staying power. I mean, people have been playing diplomacy for how long? And that is, that is like the biggest backstabbing game and you know, the friendship ruiner. But I, I talk with a gentleman, an older, older gentleman at the game, my game store, a bunch named Lewis. He plays all those old war games. He's like, it's called the friendship ruiner, but if you just know that you're playing a game, it shouldn't make a difference. You just, you just need to get mad right, and move it's off just with the game. So I have, yeah. But some people. T- I was just
2: gonna say I had had one other quick story about Boop that um, is more on the heartwarming side. I think. So we have a, a family member who's on uh, the spectrum, and okay. um, he loves the fat he fell in love with Hughes and Cues when I did it. I think it's because hey, his uncle designed a game, and then when Boop came out, of course Hughes and Cues is a party game. You need a lot of people to Boop is a two player game. And so when he's when boot came out, we taught it to him. We gave him a copy and taught it to him, and um, he was so excited about it. He's been trying to learn chess, but having a difficult time with it. But this he understood right away. And so he's a, he's a swimmer in high school. Um, he takes it to his meets and starts and teaches during the downtime between uh, between heats. Uh, he takes the time nope. to set it up and teach other swimmers, which is something he's never been able to do, both socially and um, intellectually, um, to be able to do that. And so when his mom sent me a picture of him teaching it, that was just, that made making boop all the more worth it because we saw him break out and be able to do this, which was you know, something he hadn't been able to do before. So that's probably going to quickly supplant. The Thunder Alley story is my most favorite.
1: That is amazing for a number of reasons, obviously, from what you said. But also, I love that it created joy that he wanted to share. Right, right. right. And on top of that, swim meet is notoriously a lot of downtime. (laughs) So I think that's wonderful for the other swimmers to be able to play a game and do something that's interesting for your brain in between the physical activity. So you're actually exercising both aspects. The whole world just
0: got better for you. I like it you guys have any other games you like playing during downtime like at a swim meet or, or like for me like a wrestling or jiu-jitsu meet i personally don't can't think
2: of any I, I i when my daughters were swimming we never thought to bring a game to a swim meet because you know you're sitting in these hot bleachers and i was afraid of losing cards or pieces or the humidity yeah. affecting them and so that was the majority of our our sports things if i was able if i was at an event that maybe wasn't quite so uh negative as far as the environment then i probably would have but i i don't and plus everyone at the typically now at those events you, everyone's on their phones between the heats
1: anyway <laughs> if i'm on my phone i'm playing a board game on my phone yeah, there you but go. uh so. i will say this i think in rights are another really great thing to put it, something like that where you know, it's just one person rolling a couple of dice, then everybody writes something on their little dry erase sheet or a piece of paper right. or whatever. And I think that's a really good to do that as well. Yep.
0: Definitely agree. I, I like taking the eighteen card games like you know Sprawlopolis or things from Button Shy. Like they're just really good to put on a table while you're waiting in like a hallway or something, and just. Play some good stuff while you're waiting the two hours to actually do the six minutes that you're on the mat or something. If, if you've if, got
1: if a table, like, I'm talking about, like, bleachers. bleachers out, out. Like literally six inches or something like that. That's a little hard yeah. to play. Anything that's yeah. table works. Yeah, It'd so, be interesting
2: to find out which, yeah, sit which bleachers are dry erase compatible. Hmm. hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just
2: like a dry yeah, erase right marker, like, starting a little rule, right?
0: <laughs> I, 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 heck, why not? So, uh, with... All this talk about, you know, games that really, you know, we were talking about Thunder Alley, how we were trying, you barely just won by an innocent through cleverness. What are some other games that you guys have played that maybe have like that same aspect? where you barely won by an inch and it felt really good? I can go first while you guys are thinking mm. about that kind of thing. But like, I, I think the one game that me and my wife consistently play where we're super close is Reef okay. um, by Emerson Masauchi. Uh, this is just me and my wife. I don't think anyone's get, get uh, gets as competitive with this game as me <laughs> me and her. We are scoring sometimes almost near the hundreds in this game because we just play it so often. But in Reef, you're just drafting cards that give you these little tiles that you're stacking to create these combinations of colors and shapes while you're building your own Coral Reef. And like the third time we played it, I was really in the zone, just like making these efficiency engines, but we were neck and neck going back and forth. She was taking the colors I wanted. I was taking colors that she wanted back and forth with these cards. And as we were adding up, there was like this, this moment where we're both like seeing our scores as we're calculating it together. And it goes like 30, 30, 35, 35, 45, back and forth until eventually I get my final score. And I look up and she's at like, it's like forget, sigma number 60. I'm like, I look at my score and it's 61. And I turn around the phone and, and I just like go, ha, ah, and she gets up and her like, <laughs> she's like, are you kidding me? And she like stomps around, which my wife is a very reserved person usually, but she was yeah. so, it, it was a good mad. She, it was a good mad. Like she wasn't like pissed off or anything, but she was like, oh God, I'm, rematch right now. So she dumps up one thing. We had a rematch and I beat her by two points again. And I just like put my hands in the air and she got even madder. And for like 10 games in the row when we played that, I kept beating her by two or three points until eventually... Like three weeks ago, she beat me for the first time by one point, and she was the happiest I've seen her in a very long time. She was so she was so animated; it was fantastic. Games really do bring that. Those kind of ones really bring out, I think, the best in people and how they express their excitement.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's actually a game I've not even tried yet. So now I feel like you need to bring that to whatever con we end up at next, and I'm going to challenge you and see if I can
0: keep up. I'll I'll bring it to like Proto ATL, and if we ever are not play testing our games, we can sit down <laughs> and play it. <laughs> you're gonna leave it in the bag then. That's fine.
1: What about you, Scott? You got any games that you and your wife or family play that you really close on all the time? Well,
2: so I, I I've got two answers to that. Well, yes, of course, but uh, you know, for one of them is almost any game that has any kind of end game bonus cards that you're trying to fulfill, and I typically play a game. Where I go for the the points during the game and not very good at filling the the personal objectives or something like that. So at the end of the game, I'll be you know 50, 60 points ahead while everyone else is lagging behind and feeling pretty good about myself. But then when it comes time to tally the end game score, I watch them just pass me, just beat me, and so <laughs> that, that happens more times than I care to admit. But when we play often where it's close, uh, we play uh, Second Chance, Rosenberg's Second Chance flip and Right game quite a bit. Okay. And that one, basically, the score is um, whoever has the fewest open spaces at the end of the game. It's a 9 by 9 grid filled with polyominoes, and you're trying to fill it up as efficiently as you can. And very, very often it comes down to a tie or just a one-square difference. Um And that's kind of a, I guess, an answer to your question before. That's a game we do actually take, not necessarily to sporting events, but to, you know, when we travel or whatever, to be able to easily break out on an airplane or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think any game scoring, well, nothing is more deflating to me when I've had such a great efficiency engine and like, yeah, I've got a 20 point lead. And then I remember... Oh, wait a second. There's three endgame scoring conditions, and I like got right. three points from it. And then the other players are like, okay, I got 15 here, and they still just leave me behind in their wake. I feel like such a small <laughs> <player>. <laughs> every time that happens. I, I, it's like I just constantly just shrink. Like I'm, a, I'm a big, bombastic, audacious guy. Like, oh, Look at me. I'm alpha gamer. And then I'm well, like, I'm not eh, that eh, extreme with
2: right, right, right. it, but I'm it definitely a, is. It's become par for the course <laughs> for me. So now I'm like, oh, again, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Not again. What about you, Andrew? What about you, Andrew? so?
1: My wife is smarter than I am, and she's more tactical than I. Tactical than I am. So my wife generally wins at games by either a large margin, or I somehow pull something out of a dark place and it shows up as I win. So we don't have a lot of really close games. One of the few exceptions to that is actually Catan Dice, which is not a mm-hmm. huge seller, except it's in every Walgreens and every <laughs> Walmart, stuff like that. Um, actually, I've thought many times about creating my own Catan map for that game because I, we play that game a lot when we go to the beach or whatever, and it's a really nice little vacation game, and that game always comes down to two points, like two points either for me or against me or whatever. So that's one of the few exceptions. But uh,
0: that's the one I would pick, yeah. Catan, Catan Dice is really nice. I think we've talked about this before, Andrew, but like the first time I played Catan Dice was actually at, not la- this year's Tantrum Con, but last year's. I was just kind of waiting for some friends, uh, Grant Lyon, actually, mm-hmm. and another friend of mine named Jim. We were, I was waiting to play Blood Rage. I just was like, I want to play a little bit of some games. And I saw Catan Dice in the library. I am like, okay, well, let's see what this is. I'm not a big Catan fan. It was extremely pleasant. Yeah. I played it in ten minutes, and I'm not a big rolling right guy. I really am not. And this was like, you know, this is fun. I, I think this is fun, and I played it one more time. I was like, yeah, no, I really enjoy this one. I, I think it's one of the better rolling rights i play played, and it's not terribly difficult. So if you get a map for it, let me know. I'd be happy to
1: play with. Yeah, you. I wouldn't put it in my top ten rolling rights, but it is very approachable. It is very simple. And it's surprisingly pleasant because it's simple. So I would go with that. But it's no Hadrian's Wall. It's not, you know, Ganshan Cleaver or anything like that. I don't feel like a gamer when I'm playing it. I feel like a relaxed, casual person just rolling dice and hoping I get that last piece of stone. That's pretty much how it works for me.
0: Well, circling back to the other story about your – it was a nephew, cousin. uh, Yes, my nephew. Scott? Yeah, I, I do want to talk about this a little bit because it's, I when I was working with people with special needs, it was amazing how much they actually liked apps. Oh, yeah. Um, to me, the way it was explained to me by actually a friend of mine who had special needs, he had like I think he had a uh, he had autism. He explained it the way they explained it to me. Oh, well, not not the not the, the actual kid, but the person who was in charge of taking care of him, the manager and stuff, the worker. They explained it's because it's because with some of the games, like you know, the simple games, like Boop Dungeons and Dragons even, or some of these like gateway games, they can sit down and play it with people who are, I guess, neurotypical, quote unquote, and they can compete in lots of ways. Usually in life, they can't, you know, they have challenges and ex- extremities. And I think, again, we talk about a lot. that's one of the beautiful things about games is that they can do that. They can be an avenue for all people to come sit down and have a great Game, a game, time, and just chill and you know, make some train routes, roll some dice, whatever you may be.
1: Yeah, it creates a shrunk down version of the world with a specific rule set that is not expansive, right? So you are given the box that you're put in, and you're allowed to work within that box. And it allows people who are sometimes overwhelmed by the enormity of the world to shrink it down to a small, manageable bite size. And a lot of people who have a hard time with the hole are actually excellent at the bite size. So it allows them to excel. And I think that's another really cool part and aspect of this hobby.
0: We are really deep into the meeple sea. I'm going to start using throwing that instead of the tabletop ocean as well. The meeple sea. And I think it's time to see what's on our sonar in the future. Okay. Scott, I'm going to hand it over to you because you are talking about one of my favorite games of all time and my favorite game from last year. So please tell us about this.
2: So what I'm looking forward to playing is the new offering from the op. It's in the uh, Sorcerer's Arena line and they just released an expansion called Leading the Charge. And the reason I'm excited about it, I, I played the original version and... But this one has three new mm-hmm. characters, and we are huge Toy Story fans here in this house. And in this one introduces yes. Buzz Lightyear as one of the characters. And so for that reason alone, that's the next one that's getting to our table, because we're really excited to give that a shot. There's also Elsa uh, yeah. from Frozen, and of course Scar from Lion King in the box. But those two, oh, I'm like, okay, whatever, but just give it. me a buzz and I'll be happy. <laughs> Oh,
0: well, I love Scar too, but are you uh, planning on participating in the road to Gen Con (laughs) that they're doing for the op? Yeah, I saw that they're not coming
2: anywhere Mm -hmm. near where we are, um, unfortunately, and um, otherwise I would. I've been following their posts online as they went up the West Coast a little bit, and now um, are doing some East Coast stuff. And uh, yeah, it looks super cool and would love to win that grand prize that they have. But I. (laughs) I, I haven't played the game enough the base game enough to even be competitive. We've only played it a handful of times here at the house. But now that this is well, don't play with Josh. He's a shark. That table.
1: man has played. He's played 200 <laughs> co- uh,
0: games or whatever. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> uh, I I do play it pretty competitively. Yes. <laughs> nice. I have a friend named Jeremy and we are we, ha- we when we can, we're both dads, we have head schedules. When we can, we meet try to meet once or twice a week to play Sorcerer's Arena in preparation for this because we love the game so much. And okay. he he's beat me every time. And talk about close games. It is always by one or two points mm-hmm. that he defeats me. And we're always passing like the, the point threshold to end the game. But like he is, you know, he is such a good team. He has that exp- I haven't bought that expansion yet because of Bills, but like I am Star looks incredibly awesome. Yeah. Like he does the victory points. But I am a Buzz Lightyear fan. So I might have to give him a look. Sweet. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Glad you're, mm-hmm. glad you're picking great games. Yep. <laughs> Andrew, never heard of this game, so tell me all about it.
1: Uh, so, yeah, this game is called Lost Seas. It's a tile drafting game where a couple of tiles come out. You take one and you put it on your 4x4 four four grid. But prior to the game, you actually draft what those tiles are going to be scoring in the column and the row. It's kind of hard without a visual but you start off the game with four tiles on the left and then four tiles above and then that creates your column and your rows and each of those has a specific rule for instance maybe the top left says 11 total icons and then the one below that says six of the same icons and the one below that says one ship and two sea monsters or whatever and then you're going to draft those tiles from the collective putting one somewhere in your grid hopefully equating what you need to from the top down and then across where that tile goes and you're going to try to place all the tiles to do that and score as many of the rows and columns as you need to um i've only taken a look at this one i like the art it's got that old like nautical tattooish kind of style art to it um and it looks like the mm. kind of brain burney You know, thing that Sagrada does to me, which is like, I have narrowing ability to do the things that I want to do. But in the beginning, I feel very optimistic. I can do all of this. And then as it moves down, I feel like, oh, wait, I can't do that anymore. And I can't do that anymore. You have to prioritize what parts you want to complete. And then also on your turn, you can take away a tile before your opponents get to draft. So you take one and then you throw one away. And then they take one and throw one away. And the leftover piece goes into the next round. And so there's this kind of constantly evolving availability, which is kind of interesting. And uh, I can't wait to try it out.
0: This looks right up my alley. This is like an abstract tile layer with neato old art. So I, I'm really, yeah, I'm really digging with
2: this. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that one good, either. Good,
0: good, good job, Andrew. I like this <laughs> one. I'm so glad you approved <laughs> it, <with> Josh. <laughs> oh, Josh, man. what are you looking for well? <laughs> sorry uh well i recently picked up a copy of war of the ring the card game okay so huge lord of the Rings fan, as many of our listeners know i have the war of the ring the original game still haven't played it yet because it's a beast the card game though has promised to be a shorter more compact version and reading the rule set it seems to be that way in the game you're it's very similar to Lord of the Ring, where you're fighting for different like areas of Middle Earth, but instead of a giant map, you just have cards that come out, and you're playing heroes to them to try to activate certain abilities to try to control those areas, all while the free peoples are trying to get the ring destroyed and Shadow is trying to take over all Middle Earth at the same time. So it plays two, three, and one, basically two to four players, which is great, and I think it's going to work better multiplayer than something like the war of the ring board game would because of how the card play systems would okay. work with like it just the turns make more sense there's different decks that they can control and stuff like that as opposed to like we're all controlling the same thing on either side so i'm really looking forward to getting this on the table almost got it i had started reading the rule book It's still kind of a bear of a rule book but hopefully this week or next i'm going to sit down and actually play it with my wife that is a war of the ring the card game well, Scott, I think we've kept you down here long enough, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to keep you <laughs> down here because I want you to keep telling me how to make two successful <laughs> games. <laughs> but I think Andrew would stop me. So I think we're going to rise up to the surface. and Listen, you know. if
1: he tells you the secret, I'm not stopping anything. No, no, no. Absolutely. In fact... Iowa, I in fact, I, hope Iowa Look, I it's all, all luck. I can play his other prototypes <laughs> that I haven't published yet, so I can learn some stuff. That's what I want to do.
2: So actually, I am oh. coming to uh, Proto-ATL. We, uh, we're we going to be driving down to it. I've got family in Alabama, so we're going to uh, drive down to to visit them and then drive over to Atlanta. So this will be my first time there, and of course, i got it's to bring a, a couple prototypes. It's a prototypes, really so,
0: yeah. chill con, like – knowing what I'd known last year, like it's still kind of a young Kong, like I said, but like, and there's some designers who like, they're like setting up shop right. the whole time, but the people who have done a couple of pro tech conventions, it's really fun. Like you're, it's really casual. The people, yeah. who, the publishers who are there will usually, you can make appointments with them, of mm-hmm. course, and they have appointments, but like, they'll just come down, sit and play right, a game. Right, that's right, like right. total garbage. And there's not a lot of pressure. Cause you know, it's not ready to pitch to mm-hmm. them. So let's just play and see what people who are publishers would say. Mm-hmm. So you can get some great advice. Yeah.
2: Like, that's but, great.
0: Yeah, Pro Waytale's great. That's great. What?
2: Good. Well, Monica, mm-hmm. who runs Pro yeah. also is the one that runs Tantricon, so that's, she convinced us to to make the drive, and she puts on a good show, so.
0: Right, she's really awesome. She, I actually am pretty acquainted with her because me trying to get a job in this industry, she was happy enough to sit down with me <laughs> and, like, talk to me, like, give me some advice, like, here's what you need to do to right. get into this aspect of the industry, so she, she's awesome. Well, Scott, if people want more of you in their life, if they want more Scott Brady, what can they do without being extremely obtrusive? <laughs> <Right. laughs>
2: if if that's what people want, I don't know, fan bills, like I don't know something like that. That's <laughs> I don't know that I, that would be it, it, my wife says I'm more than her <laughs> recommended daily allowance. But um, the easiest way to find me is on Facebook at W. Scott Brady. Um, I respond pretty quick to Messenger on there and had that running all the time. And so between that and LinkedIn for board game stuff, then that's definitely the easiest way to get a hold of me.
0: Well, listeners, it has been so good having you on this little adventure. Scott, thank you again for giving up your time. We wish you all the best in the yeah. future. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And this has been Tabletop Top